Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I am Pam Barnhill, your regular host, and I am joined today by our special guest host this season, Colleen Kessler. Colleen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Pam. How are you? I am doing awesome. So you and I were chatting earlier and you're having quite the adjustment to your new (laughs) school year, aren't you? Oh my goodness. Yes, it is. It's going to be a great school year. It's going to, there's so many wonderful things that the kids are doing, but it's the first year really that my two biggest ones, 14 and 10 have, he's almost 15, have kind of discovered their passions and they had been starting to over the last couple of years. And like this year, it's all taken hold. But they're still like they're old enough that I have to let them follow those passions, but young enough that I have to get them to them. Yeah, you know, we are kind of knocking on that door as well. It's funny because I also have a one bitten by the theater bug and we've been doing some theater this fall and it's so important. We have such a luxury with homeschooling. And so I'm like you, I feel like it's so important to let them follow their passions as they get older. And I see more and more of this coming in the next few years. And I just want to kind of take the opportunity to say, everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Homeschooling is the perfect way to have the extra time to enjoy some of these things and letting them do some of these things that they won't get the opportunity to do when they're grownups, you know, when they have a nine to five job and things. So yeah, embracing those passions as they develop in our middle school and high school students. I love it. Well, tell me a little bit about your guest this week. Yeah. And actually, my guest this week is kind of the perfect embodiment of that, you know, letting kids follow their passions early on. My guest this week is Gina Muncy, and she blogs at Oaxacaborn. And we'll talk about where that blog name came from, though you can get her at GinaMuncy.com at Redirects. But she is talking to us this week about giftedness, which, as you know, is a passion of mine. And she's got this brilliant little six-year-old who just could never fit in a regular traditional school system. She is studying Chinese, and she is very musical, and she takes voice and piano and other instruments at this big music academy. And she's just already following her own passions as a six-year-old and is constantly learning and growing and pretty much dragging her mom along for the ride. It was a really fun conversation. Well, I can't wait to hear it and we'll get on with it right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast is brought to you by Maestro Classics. Visit maestroclassics.com for free shipping on all CDs and MP3s, which start at just $9.98. Order today and save 17% with coupon code PAM. Add classical music to your homeschool with Maestro Classic CDs, MP3s, and activity books. These nationally recognized recordings feature engaging storytellers with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Choose from a dozen titles, including Carnival of the Animals, My Name is Handel, The Story of Water Music, and one of the Barnhill family favorites, Peter and the Wolf. Each CD and MP3 includes a 24-page activity book with illustrations, puzzles, games, and fun facts for the kids. At maestroclassics.com, you can download free printables and curriculum guides to supplement each recording and combine classical music with other school subjects. All CDs and MP3s contain educational tracks which explain how the music was made, who the composer was, the history and story behind the music, the instruments used by the orchestra, and most importantly, how to listen. Visit maestroclassics.com for free shipping on all CDs and MP3s. They start at just $9.98. And as a Homeschool Snapshots listener, you can save 17% off your order today with the coupon code PAM. Learn more at maestroclassics.com. That's maestro spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O classics.com where the best classical music curriculum awaits your homeschool. Gina Muncy is a Mexico-born, Eastern Europe-raised missionary kid who ended up being a Californian in Orlando, Florida. 
a blogger for over 15 years, editor, magazine contributor, co-op teacher, and writer who has only completed four chapters of her languishing memoir, Gina spends her humidity-drenched days full of coffee and adventures while helping her asynchronous daughter with Chinese homework. You can find Gina at Oaxacaborn.com or in the middle of homeschool, surrounded by stacks and stacks of books. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited because I had a chance to meet you in Florida last year, and you are one of my favorite people, and so is your daughter. So I can't wait to talk about your homeschool. But before we get started, tell me and the listeners a little about you and your family. Well, I am married to Josiah, who is an artist. We've known each other since we were 16 or 17 years old. We met in Northern California, where we were both living at the time. We have one daughter, Aveline, who's six, and we've lived in Florida for most of our marriage, where my husband works as a video game artist. What made you decide to start homeschooling, Aveline? Were you always thinking about doing this, or was it just was there a specific reason you decided to go down this homeschooling path? So Josiah and I were both homeschooled, actually. We weren't adamant about homeschooling our own daughter at first. We thought we'd keep our options open. We wanted to be more open-minded and think not just because homeschooling was the best path for us, it wouldn't necessarily be the best path for our daughter. So we looked into different options and we thought all her in a nice little neighborhood school. There's a private Christian school a few miles away. And so in my mind, I had this picture of working on a book while somebody else was teaching my daughter to read. But you know, if you know Aveline and you do, you've had some time with her. She's one of those kids where why would you walk when you can run? So this is how she's always approached life. So here I had a child before pre-K who could read fluently and math and was craving really deep details about science. So as the time progressed, it was becoming more and more apparent that she, she was not going to easily fit into the sequential model of education offered by the traditional school. The more we talked about it and the more we observed her, homeschooling became a no-brainer. We can tailor her education to her very specific and unique needs and we can work at her speed. Yeah, you mentioned in your bio that Aveline is asynchronous. Can you tell us, for the listeners of this show, they might not be familiar with that term asynchronous. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Asynchronous development. Basically, my understanding of it is, is that the child develops different areas of their life, mentally, their body at different rates. So this would mean that my six-year-old daughter can read anything up to a high school level. She can comprehend it all completely. She has an incredible handle on mathematical theory and science concepts, but she's very, she's very immature emotionally, and she has the impulse control of somebody who's probably younger than a six-year-old. And her responses to everyday events don't always, her emotional responses, the intensity of them, it doesn't always match the situation. Like she's an incredibly smart kid who forgets to go to the bathroom. I have to remind her, she will forget that she's hungry and she might get really, really mad if a book falls off the bookshelf when she's trying to put it back. And so sometimes I look at her and I'm like, this makes no sense. You were just reading that chemistry book and now you don't understand how to push it into the shelf. So this is a lot of times just quirky. She's just a very quirky kid. I love that. And I'm going to tell a, a quick story to the listeners to kind of show this, this asynchrony with an example. Because like I said, I got the chance to to meet Aveline and she's super duper sweet and funny as all get out. I mean, she's the perfect little six-year-old, silly, goofy. And when you're talking to her at first and you see her, she looks like this little sprite of a person because she's just like teeny tiny and cute. And you know, she's got those like sweet little features and she's bouncing around and she's rolling around in my booth at the FPEA convention and was just, she was pulling on you to get you to take her so she could go spend some of her money. And she comes back, this little little six-year-old, with the novel Alice in Wonderland or Alice Through the Looking Glass and, you know, unabridged and this big book for this little teeny tiny sprite of a girl. And she spent most of the rest of that day under my table reading that book like it was going to be snatched from her hands if, you know, if she'd stopped reading for any second. <laughs> And then what I loved most was the next day. And first of all, like that right there tells you that this is not a typical six-year-old. So for listeners who might not have any experience with giftedness, like right there, you know, you're dealing with a pretty profoundly gifted little girl who's six and is reading through the looking glass for fun underneath, you know, the table at a convention when there's all these games and toys and different things to be looking at. 
But what was what even struck me more was she comes back the next day, having finished the book that night. So the entire novel, this little six-year-old had to finish and wanted to spend the rest of her spending money on a study guide so she could answer questions <laughs> and solve puzzles about the novel she had just read. And so she's doing this and this is so academic and like brilliant and you can't get a lot of middle schoolers or high schoolers to do something like that. But then 10 minutes, you know, after she comes back with her her study guide and she'd filled out a few pages, she's like rolling on the floor like you would expect a six-year-old who's been cooped up in a convention hall all day to do. And so that that whole dichotomy of behavior, you know, when you're when you're dealing with asynchronous kids is really it makes it really difficult for a child like Aveline or other gifted kids who may be asynchronous to fit in a traditional model of education, like you said, with that sequentialness that they need to go through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that anecdote really encapsulates our daily lives, the rolling on the floor and then going to something very academic. This is very much our normal. And I love it. I, she just she makes me smile every time I think about her. So thinking, you know, going along the lines of books, tell me what literary classic your homeschool day most looks like. Well, most days I feel like I'm living inside something that er, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote. <laughs> Except I'm not Sherlock. <laughs> I'm just kind of a really quiet version of Watson. And all I want to do is sit by the fire or the air conditioning vent and read and write. And you already know Aveline is Sherlock and she's walking around with a magnifying glass trying to answer questions that I would never have even thought to ask. And then can't even answer for her. So you're like, um, okay, let's find a book about that one. You want to go to the library? <laughs> Google is my friend. <laughs> Yeah. What did parents of kids like this do before Google? My kids, like, I think their best friend is Siri. You know, they just grab my phone and ask Siri their question and Siri finds the answer for them because I can't do it most of the times. I think we had an entire shelf growing up that was nothing but dictionaries and encyclopedias. (laughs) And my brothers and I read through them all. And that's so funny and brings up a really good point that I think we forget. And as we discover information about our kids and what makes them tick, especially when we're dealing with quirky kids, is that the apple doesn't usually fall far from the tree. So if your kid is like this, you can probably trace some of it back to yours or your husband's or wife's, depending on who's listening to this childhood, because somewhere in there, you're going to find little truths about yourself and your own upbringing. My mom points this out to me a lot. I'm like, where did this kid come from? I don't understand it. And she's like, I've already lived this life. She knows. My husband and I were having these discussions and we're like, where does this come from? And then I said, wait a minute, Josiah, you graduated high school at 17 years old and you had your pilot's license before you could drive. So our sense of normal is definitely skewed. Yeah. It's so interesting because you just, you know, your normal is your normal and you don't think about it. So let me ask you, looking back, I mean, and you're still pretty early on in your homeschooling. Obviously, you've been homeschooling longer than most people would imagine for a six-year-old because she was asking big questions early on. But what would you say your biggest homeschooling mistake or regret has been so far? Honestly, I would say my biggest mistake is just caring too much about what other people think. I mean, fear of man is a big downfall in a lot of areas of life, not just homeschooling. And with having a situation that is unique, having one child who is gifted, who's very extroverted, so it's not like we can go into a situation and hide (laughs) any of our weirdness. You know, in the end, I have to remind myself I am responsible for my own family and no one else is. So I don't have to answer to anyone else. I only have to answer to God and to my own family. And that's really hard to remember when you're in the midst of it. And your kid is so obviously different because you know people are looking at you and making judgments. And you don't know really what they are, but of course you you put your own projections onto them and your own anxieties and fears. But that's hard and that's a really good good thing to bring up and to encourage other people, you know, remember that these are your kids and God gave them to you for a reason. You're the perfect parent for them. And that person who's looking at you is not and would not have been given these children for that very specific reason that you were given them. So good thing for everybody to keep in the back of their mind. What homeschool book, if you've read any homeschooling books, has most influenced you? 
I didn't read it till recently, but I absolutely love A Well-Trained Mind by Jesse Wise and Susan Wise Bauer. I read that book and there was so much of what she said that really resonated with me. And it also encouraged me because I have a homeschool journey that is skewed to the academic end. I'm um, not by my, some sort of big overarching plan of mine, but just because I have a child who's so interested in digging in really deep to really academic subjects. So the well-trained mind is really encouraging to me. That's one of those ones that I started to read and I keep meaning to go back to. So you're like the third or fourth person who's mentioned that recently. I think that someone's telling me something. I need to go pull that one back out. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, it's really good. Have you read Creative Homeschooling by Lisa Rivero? I have not, but I have heard of it. That one might be a good one for you too, because she writes from the perspective of giftedness. Oh, interesting. Very cool. Yeah. All right. As a homeschool mom, you will have succeeded if your kid can... What? I, the answer for me for that will be successful if my kid can think critically. And to borrow an old English phrase from Second Timothy, rightly divide the word of truth. And to me, that really just means being able to handle truth correctly. Critical thinking is becoming something of a lost art that ability to sift out fallacies from truth. And this is something that we all need to be able to do in all of life. Education to me should be all about teaching how to think, how to find information, and how to discern truth out of a convoluted mess. So success to me really means having equipped her with the ability to think critically in all areas of life. And beyond that, beyond all of that, we've spent a lot of time talking about academics. But beyond all that, I want Aveline to know that she is loved with an everlasting love. And I think you do, just from the little bit that I've you know, seen you two together, I think you do a great job of that. You balance that, encouraging her to try new things and look before, you know, even with the purchases, you know, look before she makes her final decisions, but know that whatever her quirky little heart is looking for is valuable and valid and right. So I think that you do that really, really well, Mama. Thank you. So not all days are sunshine and roses, right? With homeschooling, we have bad ones. What do you and Aveline do to turn a bad day around if you guys, if it's just not clicking and you've got that asynchrony to deal with. So sometimes it's not going to click because she's still six and a young six at that. One word, protein. I have found that a lot of the times when our day is falling apart and neither of us are thinking clearly, we just need to stop and have a reset and have a cheese stick or a spoonful of nut butter. And just really take time to let the food soak into our brain, take a little rest, sometimes even some time apart, and then come back later feeling refreshed and ready to go again. That's a good point. I know that my kids are the same way. They start to get <laughs> jittery and grumpy and start to egg each other on if they're hungry. And we found too, especially with the gifted brain, I don't know, there's a little bit of research that's been done about reactive hypoglycemia in gifted kids, just that they're processing things so quickly that they often need more, I don't know, more often replenishment of those omega fatty acids and proteins and things to just kind of give, like you said, give energy to the brain so they can keep on going and keep on processing. Um, that's an interesting, interesting observation because I've seen that too. And I'd be interested to see if other listeners who have gifted kids have experienced that. So are you in your homeschool, you do a lot of academics you've talked about and a lot of that's driven by Aveline, but are you a planner or do you kind of fly by the seat of your pants, follow those rabbit trails that she takes you down? Or do you guys have like a set structure that you start with and kind of see where it takes you? Can you take us a little bit into the way that you do your planning? Absolutely. Yeah. We build our days, we structure our days to have kind of two tiers. So the first tier of our day is all structure. Um, and the second tier of our day, the second half of the day is open-ended and exploratory. Having both tiers be completely open-ended and exploratory around here just means meltdowns. And that's not fun for anyone. So we, we plan for free time, which I know a lot of people have a hard time with that concept because it sounds so counterintuitive. But when we have the focus of our day at the beginning, the math and the science and the things that require more heavy brain lifting, I find that for Aveline, this calms her down and it puts her in a more relaxed state for the rest of the... She can enjoy that open-ended exploration. I do think that the idea 
of planning or schedules in the homeschool community at large scares homeschoolers because they think it means dropping everything in a panic because it's 11 a.m. and 11 a.m. means math. But that's not what planning has to be. To me, planning is about having a purpose and about putting a daily plan in place to meet that goal. So if your purpose is getting through, say, an overview of early American history, the school year, you need to consistently act on that. just won't happen. I don't think that homeschooling happens just by being at home. Imagine a brick and mortar school where parents bring kids in the room and the teacher tells the parents, hey, we're flexible. We do laundry and I have some other stuff to do for most of the year, but because they're in school, so it'll be okay because they're in the school building. (laughs) We all have days like that. We're having a whole week like that right now as we're preparing for a hurricane. Um, (laughs) But I have a plan in place not to make that the norm for 180 days because I don't think that the kind of education that my kind of gifted kid requires, because every gifted kid is different, she needs to have a plan to accomplish the goals because this is what makes her feel really happy and secure. So the intentional purpose and goal and structure really works for our home. That's a great balance. And one that I think, like you said, some people worry about, you know, and especially when people are newly starting out to be homeschooling. And I think, and you and I have talked about this before, there's kind of a growing demographic, for lack of a better word, of parents who are homeschooling their gifted children in our world of homeschooling because, I mean, because frankly, they're not fitting into the school model right now. And parents are at a loss and they know that their kids' needs aren't being met, so they're pulling them out. And I think that's so important for parents who are just getting started, if you're listening, to know that it's okay to have a mix and to have some structure and some free time built in because the greatest creativity comes when you let them just relax and go down those rabbit trails and find their passions. But they still need some guidance because they'll they could, you know, either hyper focus. I know there are some kids who won't put down through the looking glass and the the study guide to move <laughs> on to something that their little six year old body and brain needs also to develop. Or like my 14 year old won't stop playing Minecraft because he lacks the self-regulation skills to know when enough is enough because there's always something going on in the game. And that whole fear of missing out of whatever it is that's going on behind the scenes keeps him glued to the screen. And so having not necessarily like ultimatums and things like that, but a built in structure and cadence to your day instead of like a schedule per se. It's okay to do what works for you and know that what works for you might not work for someone else, but it's exactly where your kid needs to be, just the confidence to be able to do what it is that's needed. And I really saw that reflected in my own upbringing. I mean, we were, we were, my siblings and I were homeschooled. We had our assignments that we needed to get done for the school. And so we were very self-disciplined and we would finish those assignments in the first half of our day. And the second half of our day was spent pursuing our own interests. I used to cut out clip art and paste in with glue my own articles and poetry and create my own books and magazines, which is essentially what I do today. And one of my brothers used to blow the fuses and the circuit breaker and blow the power out in the house. And now he's an electrical engineer. (laughs) So these interest-led free time that we had really did prepare us for the adults that we became. But we also learned the self-regulation skills and the self-discipline skills and the study skills to be able to say, first, we're going to do the things we don't enjoy as much, and then we are going to do the things that we love. And I think that balance is really important for healthy coping skills as an adult. Yeah, I completely agree. The One of the things that that I've talked about over the last year speaking and I've spoken with you about is that lack of executive function skills a lot of our gifted kids have or or the fact that they struggle with that being able to, you know, regulate themselves and know to get to this conclusion or this end product or project, I need to do this and being able to like go with it towards, you know, keep working towards a goal. And so teaching kids that they need to regulate themselves or they need to focus on these tasks to be able to get to those passions, you know, both of them are equally important so that you can take the love of, you know, blowing circuits in the house to becoming an electrical engineer or cutting pages out of a magazine to becoming a magazine editor and writer that those all have value and they have 
they can lead to great jobs and skills and hobbies, but also need the discipline behind them to follow through on a project. I completely agree. So if I were to ask Aveline right now, what would she say is the best thing and the worst thing about homeschooling? Uh, The best part definitely is her being able to pursue her own interests. We have had conversations about how, honey, a public school or even a private school is not going to let you do chemistry and anatomy for four hours, (laughs) three days a week. The worst part is something I hear every weekend. She gets upset with me every weekend because I I don't want to do school on the weekends. (laughs) So if you're listening right now to this podcast and you're throwing things at your phone or your computer screen, (laughs) I'm sorry. I know a lot of you have the opposite problem. This problem is also very exhausting. And Colleen, I know you can relate to that also. Mm -hmm. Yes. You need to stop sometimes and just go play. But then likewise, you get some kids, like some really bright kids who are just under-motivated. And I'm fighting with my 14 and a half year old right now over like a minimum amount of work. I'm like, I know you know a lot, but like, dude, you need to be able to answer some questions on paper. So sit down and do it. This is a fraction of what you would do if you were sitting in a classroom with another teacher. I know you know it, but you can't always tell people what you know. Sometimes you just have to write it. (laughs) We have these same conversations over extremely minimal chores and hygiene issues. So it's not all sunshine and roses over here. Yes, hygiene. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We don't even need to go there. We'll just say hygiene and I'll say like little girl, which you're dealing with. And then also a teen boy. Like there's always some kind of issue. Toothpaste doesn't go all over the counter. Yes, you need to brush your teeth every day. Honey, yes, you do need to start showering at least once a day, sometimes twice a day as you get older. Yeah. The hygiene issues with gifted kids, they're just like, they just, you know, they're just going to keep going. And I guess that's all kids, but I think it's more pronounced with gifted because you start to scratch your head like you are so smart. How can you be so dumb in this area? But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Toothpaste ends up in places in the bathroom I didn't even know existed. It's like, I don't understand how that happens. But I'm sure there would be a whole conversation about the physics of toothpaste and tubes. So I don't even ask anymore. Right. 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 Oh, my goodness. Oh, we live the same life, just in different states. (laughs) Okay. So what would you say, Gina, is the best and the worst part about homeschooling? You and I, you know, we've talked a little about my background since I'm a second Mm -hmm. generation homeschooler. And I've seen a lot of niche homeschool subcultures in different parts of the country. I like to say I have seen the good, the bad, and a whole lot of ugly. (laughs) I've been exposed to some pretty serious issues in the homeschooling community. And these are the kind you read about in the scandal section. And I have seen enough of the same patterns in more than just one place across the country to know that some of these issues are not just isolated but are a part of an entrenched philosophy in specific subcultures. So I do think it is important to acknowledge that even as a supporter of homeschooling, yes, there was a lot wrong with some specific subcultures in the last generation of homeschooling. Now, there's a lot wrong with public schools too, but that's a whole other conversation, a very long conversation (laughs) for another day. Within the homeschool movement specifically, there was and still is a morality first movement, which focused on making sure your family looked good outside and didn't focus enough on what was actually going on inside those families. And a lot of this was rooted in the idea of elevating this concept of family to a godlike status. And I feel like within my generation, this came at a sacrifice for many individuals within the family. And it's ironic to me for a movement so opposed to the conformity culture in traditional brick and mortar schools that this legalist kind of fundamentalist movement really pushed conformity to a specific homeschool ideal. There just wasn't enough room for the beautiful truth that God created all kinds of personalities. Some kids, we've talked a lot about this, they're naturally spunky. Some are naturally daring. You know, some are very academic minded, some are very hands on. Some kids crave structure, some don't. We're not all the same. So I think the hardest part for me about homeschooling is facing criticism from other homeschoolers, ironically, 
about the way I've chosen to run my homeschool. But the funny thing to me is that this ends up being the most beautiful part of homeschooling because the way that each of us chooses to run our homeschool ends up being the best part. The best part is the ability to create that individualized plan for the very specific needs of an individual child. And we get to meet their needs. I mean, that's exciting. That's our, that's the exciting part. And that's also our grave responsibility as homeschool parents, being able to equip a child to face the world and being able to have the incredible privilege of loving that child for exactly who they are, exactly as God created them. There's so many good points in that, Gina, just that but we're gonna. I'm gonna focus in on one one piece because we're talking about homeschooling your specific child here. But just that you own this homeschooling opportunity, you can't take responsibility or credit even for how you were homeschooled or how you were raised or the culture in which you were raised. But what you can do and what you should do is move on from there and own your own piece of the story, which is this next piece of the story. And it is. It's really hard. I didn't, I wasn't brought up in the same culture that you were. And my family still thinks I'm crazy for homeschooling. But we, whatever our stories are and whatever people's reactions to the way in which we homeschool it ends up being, we are ultimately only responsible for and answerable to how we raise our own children and how we homeschool our own children. So let's talk a little bit about your homeschool and specifically Aveline. She is involved in lots of interesting things. She's got... Actually, I'm just going to let you talk about some of the the different things that this little asynchronous, super bright kiddo is not only interested in, but is, an ex- is excelling in. Because I see these hashtags you know, in your Instagram, and we're going to link to your Instagram on the show notes page. But like little... What is it? Little girl, big music school and things like that. And I just love yeah. the, things, <laughs> the things that she's interested in because she is this teeny tiny sprite of a being. And she's doing some big things. Tell us a little bit about some of those big things and those interesting kind of quirky things that your homeschool looks brings to the table. Oh, yeah. She is just a really interesting kid. And I know everyone says that about their own child, but she, she just has such specific interests and they surface so early. I know now looking back that she is gifted, which makes her very quirky and very intense. And it, it gives her these very driven specific areas of interest. So yes, this is my... My life, I have a six-year-old who wants to be a physicist or a chemist. And she came to me the other day and said, Mom, maybe I want to be a physicist who specifically studies the way human organs move. I mean, what do you even say? What do you even say to your child when she says that? Like, is that a kind of physicist? It probably is. I've never heard of it, but my six-year-old wants to be one. She's been learning Chinese since she was three. This is not something we pushed on her. We played a lot of music and a lot of different languages when she was little, and she always wanted to hear the Chinese songs. So she's entering her fourth year of Chinese school. She has done speech and recitation contests since she started. So she memorizes a Chinese poem every spring and recites it for the judges. She also used to take Chinese folk dance. So she's performed at the huge area local New Year festivals. She tried lion dance for a while, but she was so small, they put the costume on her and she tipped over. So that didn't last too long. (laughs) I could just see that. Oh my goodness. goodness. (laughs) Then she tried lion dance drumming and they had to bring in buckets for her to stand on to reach the drum. (laughs) So that again, didn't last too long, but it lasted long enough for her to do one performance with them. And she loves to play the piano. She loves the digestive system more than any child could. And she is obsessed with math and Marie Curie. Math and Marie Curie. Hmm. She's just so, she's so interesting to me. I just, I adore hearing stories about her. But tell me when, so we talk about this term gifted and, and we can link to some articles about what that specifically means from an academic or a clinical perspective for listeners who might not be familiar with the term or might be like rolling their eyes like, oh, gifted, everybody's gifted in something, which is, it's a pervasive myth and it just is what it is. But we're talking about the like the clinical neurological definition of giftedness. When did you know, kind of in your heart, in your gut, that Aveline was, you knew she was different than most, you know, teeny tiny tots. But when did you know that this was giftedness that you were dealing with? Well, I think that, I mean, I should have had a clue when she was requesting math books at age three. It wasn't a clue for me. I could, I learned to read at age three. So I thought, 
all of this, like I said, like we've talked about before, this is our normal. So I really, I didn't, I didn't get it. When we registered her for VPK, which is Florida's voluntary pre-kindergarten program, they give you like, like this handout of the educational goals of the school year. And I was really confused because I thought the goals were really, really off. And then I found you somehow, found your blog, found your group raising poppies. And I started to read through these posts from people and the different things that you have written. And I realized, you know what? I don't think these educational standards are off. I think we're off. I think, you know, other four-year-olds aren't reading 200-page books on microphones and microscopes. And so there's no educational plan out there anywhere that's going to include that in a pre-K year for a four-year-old. So it was around that time that I realized she is very gifted. And it, it just, it hadn't occurred. It's just something that you grow up with and she's my only child and you just don't know. You don't know. So homeschooling has been amazing because we can customize what she's learning at her speed. So she doesn't have to wait for a classroom of six-year-olds to move on to the next topic. Yeah. And that's something. So there's, there's the academic piece to gifted. And we'll link to some of those articles that you were talking about. And because you write things and like you said, it's your norm. And listeners on this particular podcast don't know that I have a background in gifted. That's my master's, but I missed it in my own kid because like you said, it is your norm. And when you get skewed, and you you grew up this way and you see, you know, you don't have experience. I taught gifted kids and my kids were just doing what they were doing. And it was what I was teaching. And I didn't put it together that it wasn't typical for for young children. And, um, you know, I go back and I look at all the signs that were there and I'm like, how could I have missed this? It's just it wasn't normal. And I would tell other parents that that wasn't normal, but I missed it on my own kids. But some of the things that go along with giftedness that are not talked about as much, that asynchrony that we already talked a little bit about that there are many ages at once, but there's also anxieties because they're they're processing the world in a much more advanced cognitive way, but emotionally, they're still teeny tiny. And so their emotions are still that of younger children and they can't reconcile what their emotions can deal with, what they can understand cognitively. So you get anxiety issues, you get overexcitabilities, which can sometimes look like sensory processing disorder or ADHD or other kinds of emotional issues. How do you, in particular, modify your homeschooling and the things that you do with Aveline to take into account not just those academics, because we've talked a lot about that, but also the emotional pieces that go along with, with giftedness? Well, you're so right, because cognitively, these kids understand concepts to a level that they really don't have the emotional capacity to deal with. So, I mean, we're about 48 hours from a hurricane right now, and there's not a whole lot of pat answers I can give her like I could give another child perhaps because she has been carrying around a science textbook all week. It's 350 pages. She's read it like four times. I can't make up a cute little story about the wind because she has all of the models and the scale and everything in her textbook and she knows them all. But emotionally, she's having a hard time with that. So one thing that I'm really learning is that it is important to acknowledge her fears and not be dismissive. Because I think as parents, when our kids come to us with the fear, it's easy for us to say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. But that's not the way God deals with us when we have fears. He doesn't mock us and say, well, that's not, don't you know, that's not how it's going to turn out. You know, he promises to stay with us through the dark times and the valleys. And so that doesn't mean that God thinks what we fear is scary. It just means he's acknowledging our fears and he promises not to be with us, not to leave us and to, to be with us. And so just acknowledging her anxieties and her fears and telling her I'm here with you, I think is just one way that I, I can really connect to her on an emotional level and let her feel that security and that love. That validation is such a key piece there because whether or not they're realistic fears, our kids who have this high cognitive function, but this, you know, lower emotional ability to deal with those things, they are very real for them. And even if we know in our hearts that, and based on, you know, history, that something's not going to happen, dismissing them, like you said, just completely invalidates them and confuses them and also breaks trust. And so by validating that these fears are normal, it's okay. Let's talk about the science behind it and let's, you know, you know that you're loved and, and I'm here with you as you feel that way. 
is so powerful and something that is really easy to forget in the day-to-day moments of homeschooling intense children like this because you know as you and I have talked about before it doesn't ever end their mind is always working whether ours has caffeinated enough to catch up or not they're st- <laughs> they're still thinking about all these things and they're very real and they're very real fears my 8-year-old has been sleeping on my floor for about a week. I have a hardwood floor. It is more comfortable and comforting for her right now to be there in a sleeping bag than it is to be in her room, which is, we live in 790 square feet. It is down the hall. She can see my bed from her bed. But right now, whatever is going on with her anxiety-wise, she hasn't completely and like confidently been able to explain it yet. There's something that is frightening her. And to dismiss that, would be to break trust with her. She needs to know that you are there for them so or for her. And just like Aveline needs that. And so whether it's talking through the book or letting her sleep on your floor, you have to validate that because they're still emotionally six or eight or younger even. So anything else that you would want to add, you know, maybe to encourage or to give suggestions? Because like we've talked about, you know, gifted kids look oftentimes like they have sensory processing issues. You know, they need to move all the time. Or they look like they have ADHD because they're constantly talking and you know interrupting and things like that. Are there some other modifications that you make to your your day that can help when the mind or the body just won't slow down, but you still need to get through a couple different things? Or even you know if if you need to get through some things that she's not as interested in because she wants to dive down another rabbit hole, but she still has to get her Chinese homework done for Chinese school or whatever. What are some things that you can do? Or you can suggest to other parents who are struggling with that with some of their gifted kids. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just let them wiggle. Just let them move. There's no reason why a kid has to sit in a chair at a table or a desk when you're homeschool. I mean, a lot of times we will be at the table or desk because she likes to be there. But what you don't see in the pictures I post on Instagram, and I should probably show this side more, is the fact that when she looks like she's sitting on the table, only one part of her leg is on the table and she's holding herself up by her elbows. She has a swivel seat, a plastic swivel seat, or swivel chair from Ikea that's basically indestructible. She also has a, what's a wiggle seat or a therapeutic balance disc that she carries around with her and sits on. This lets her move and wiggle. It's like a exercise ball but it's a flat disc and filled with air. So these are amazing. My husband bought one. We have a lot of fidgeting in this family. Um, (laughs) Apples and trees. (laughs) So those are some things that work for us when we have to be at the table. I also, like I mentioned, she has an, an office chair she sits in at the table. It doesn't have four legs, okay? Four legs just means constantly tipping back. It has like five sort of octopus looking legs with wheels that don't turn. It works for us because the chair can take a lot of wear and tear. When she doesn't have to be at the table, I let her run around. I let her stand up on her head, scoot her forehead along the floor, roll. You've seen Aveline in carpets. (laughs) You know what this is like. And so sometimes math will look her scooting around all over the floor, wearing holes in her clothes, while she processes these problems out loud and I write them down for her. I act as her scribe a lot. It works really well. She dictates to me while she's rolling around on the floor and I write it down. So there's no need to make everything about sitting still and writing and standing in a line because the skills will come in time. And right now they're not things that we need to be focused on so specifically for so many hours a day. Those are great suggestions. We have that same wiggle disc at home here that actually I need to get a couple more because my kids fight over them or fight over it. But it's like one side is bumpy because sometimes my one kid needs the extra input of the bumpy side. And then the other side is smooth (laughs) because she doesn't need the input that day and doesn't want it. She just wants to wiggle. We should put a link to that in the show notes. So anybody else with some wonderfully wiggly wild children can introduce these to their day and A funny story, when she was about three, she was in her first week of Chinese school, I had to fill out an incident report. And the incident report said, she began to dance and fell off desk onto head. (laughs) 
<laughs> this happens less often now that we have the wiggle seats. It doesn't hasn't eliminated falling out of desks, but <laughs> that's so funny and reminds me of my ten year old who has broken her wrist three times in four summers. One wrist she's broken twice, the other she's broken once. And the very first time she did it was because she was dancing in the kitchen and fell. <laughs> it was, and I think actually the third time, oh, the third time was she was playing hide and seek and slipped in the woods. Like it, really ridiculous things. But the dancing in the kitchen and fell was a really interesting ER visit. Like, how did you do this again, honey? Yeah. <laughs> Those ones make for great stores later. They do. And they also make for, you know, good little digs every once in a while because she's a, a really good humored one, my my 10-year-old. And I can say, oh, honey, you're dancing in the kitchen again. We really don't need a trip to the ER right now. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, we're our time's almost up. So let me, I'm going to get to the fast five, the, the quick questions at the end. So I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. You just received an Amazon gift card. What are you, Gina Muncy, spending it on? The next thing on my ever running gift list, I have a wish list for myself. And when I get a gift card, I buy the next thing on it, okay, which so was a rug. Oh, a rug. Time. I was going to say. Aveline wore out the last one. <laughs> I can totally see that. So what's next on your... And she cried when we got rid of it. Oh my goodness. That's hilarious. The next. Yes. Yes. We had a going away moment <laughs> for the rug. So what's the next thing on your list that you're going to get next? The Well-Educated Mind by Susan Weisbauer. Okay, your, your favorite family game night game. Iota. It's that little tiny game and the little tin, the little square card game. Yes, we have, have to that. line up four cards. Yes, yes. It's infuriating and wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, that's a great game. And But you're... you're kind of lulled at first. Like I bought it because it was so small thinking I could throw it in my purse and it could be like a restaurant game, but it gets so spread out. You can't, you need floor space and stuff to do it because sometimes it just can't be contained on the table, but it's super fun and so simple, but not. Does that make sense? Like (laughs) it does. Simple to learn. I played it. (laughs) Yes. I love that game. That's a great game. Yeah. We definitely have to link to that one. Okay. Best way to spend your day with Aveline. What is your, your best, best day with her? We love working on some sort of a big project. I like when she goes down one of her rabbit trails and she wants to get out all of the papers and books. And I will, you know, she'll ask me for different things to print off the internet so she can build one of her lap books or notebooks. We have a lot of fun doing that together. And it's just a really kind of great way to spend the very rainy afternoons that we get down here in Florida. That sounds like a lot of fun. You're going to probably... With Irma coming in, you're probably going to be doing some lap books coming up here, huh? If my printer ink arrives. <laughs> you're going to have to have her create her own books without the, the worksheets to go with them. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about uh, reading The Well-Trained Mind right now. What else are you reading right now? Or are you a one book girl? Oh, no, not one book. Probably a, a whole lot of books. And sometimes it takes me like a year to get through one because I'm reading so many at a time. But right now I'm reading My Name is Matope. You remember many years ago, there was the best-selling book, Not Without My Daughter. This book is written by the daughter in that original memoir. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to look that up. So, okay. Fill in the blank. I have got to have blank to get me through the day. Coffee. Yeah, we're living the same life. (laughs) Okay. So this has been a lot of fun and I seriously could talk to you all day. And I'm going to, at some point, we're going to record kind of another half to this and we're going to get Aveline in on it, right? We're going to... Yes. Good. I'm so excited about this. But we're going to... I'm going to be launching my own podcast in January. And Gina is going to be one of my first guests on it. So we can continue this conversation about raising kids to be lifelong learners and kind of, you know, cultivating or helping to facilitate the creativity in kids. So I'm looking forward to that second half. So I hope that listeners will tune in to that when that launches. But in the meantime... Where can they find you online, Gina, and spell it for them? Because while I pronounced it right, finally, yay, I want them to know exactly uh, where they can find you. So how to spell it. So go ahead. Tell us where we can find you. Okay. I blog at Oaxaca Born, but because not everyone names their blog after an obscure state in Southern Mexico, I've also set up a redirect. So if you just go to GinaMuncy.com, it'll take you right to my unfortunately named blog. So if you just go to G-I- a 
M-U-N-S-E-Y.com. You'll be taken right there. Okay, but real quick, before we end, tell us about Oaxaca Born. Where did that name come from? Because actually, I don't think it's an unfortunate named blog. I think it's a great name. It is just hard to remember. But tell us about it real quick. (laughs) I was born in Oaxaca, which is a thousand miles south of the Texas border. My parents were missionaries there. And then many years later, but a long time ago, back in the days of AOL Instant Messenger. I was trying to set up a scream and all of the cute ones were taken. So I was like, you know what? Nobody will have ever heard of Oaxaca. So I typed in Oaxaca Born. And every time I had trouble finding a screen name, I used that one and it has never gone away. (laughs) So there was clearly a lot of SEO and branding strategy that went into that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've talked about this before. We're writers, right? First and foremost. So we just write. And it's really worth it. So listeners here who have never heard of Gina's site before, it is so... It's just filled with lots and lots of beautiful writing. She's such an amazingly talented writer. You really need to look it up. So look up com, and you'll be redirected to Oaxaca Born. But really, every post is thought-provoking and just so beautifully written. You need to go discover it. So great. Well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun for me. I appreciate you spending time talking to me while you're preparing for a hurricane. Be safe this weekend and into next week. Thank you so much, Colleen. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that such a cool chat with Gina about her precious little Aveline? I just adore that family. You can find out more about the resources that we talked about today at pambarnhill.com forward slash HSP57. You can find more resources about giftedness on my website, RaisingLifelongLearners.com. And I'll be back again for one last episode this season in about two weeks, where we're going to have a nice chat with another friend of mine. I can't wait to bring that to you. And I can't wait to share so much more to enhance your homeschool. In the meantime, love on those kids, have fun with them, and keep on homeschooling. Homeschooling.